Today's scripture reading is found in 2 Peter, first chapter, verses 12 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Hear the word of the Lord. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. It is a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, team. It is a privilege and a joy to stand here this morning and to open up God's Word with you. I'm thankful to be here. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as I was moving around this morning and and hearing uh, folks come in, the number one question was, how are you doing? And the number one answer was, I'm fine. Uh, For some of you, um, you were telling the truth. Um, but statistics tell us that not everyone in this room can be fine, right? And um, for those of you who are here and life is great, praise the Lord. Uh, when you said everything is fine, um, we rejoice with you for that. But I want you to know that uh, if you are here this morning and you were untruthful uh, earlier on, um, you may find yourself sitting here and realizing that, uh, that you're a mess. Um, be encouraged. God's Word tells us 
that he is in complete control. And no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what the problem, trust in God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Without it, we would have no promise. Without it, we would have no understanding. Without it, we would have no proof. But because of your word, we can rest assured. Because we see Jesus in your word, we can be confident. So, Father, as as Nick prayed earlier, I, I do pray that you would be preparing our hearts for this morning. Maybe someone here will see your word as they've never seen it before. I pray that all of us would would leave with a greater conviction, with a greater awareness, with greater confidence in the Word of God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your Word with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. So we're going to do something a little different this morning before diving into the passage at hand. And before we focus our attention on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, I want to spend a couple of minutes remembering an interaction that Peter had had with Jesus three decades earlier. So turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 21, John chapter 21. You'll remember John 21, verses 15 to 19, taking place following Jesus' resurrection, and and right after the disciples had been fishing all night, only to catch nothing. This would be the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But what John preserves for us in chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, it's significant because 
Though this is the third meeting, it's the first record of any conversation between Jesus and Peter following Peter's three denials of Jesus before his death. And Jesus had prepared breakfast for the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. And it's after they had eaten this meal with the Lord that we pick up in John 21, 15. So look at John 21, 15 with me. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. We wonder how impactful a conversation like this with the Lord Jesus would have been for this disciple who he often could not get out of his own way, right? For over 30 years, Peter had served the Lord faithfully. And this once fumbling disciple would become a formidable apostle. We read of his successful ministry throughout the, the book of Acts and of his love for the church in his letters, from preaching at Pentecost and seeing 3,000 people saved, to being used of God to spread the gospel to the Gentiles from visiting churches to teach and preach, and from raising disciples to ordaining elders. For over 30 years, Peter had heard Jesus' words ringing in his ears. For over 30 years, Peter had been committed to feeding Jesus' sheep. So once a young man when he was first called as a disciple, now an older man who was certain he was close to death, Peter had devoted his life to feeding Jesus' sheep. And it's with this reminder of the conversation Jesus had with Peter some 30 years before this morning's passage that we pick up with 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 12 to 21. So I want to encourage you, if you've not already turned to Second Peter chapter 1, to do that right now. Jesus charged Peter to feed his sheep. So the question 
that we must ask this morning is, what do sheep eat? What was it that Jesus was asking Peter to nourish the sheep with? It becomes clear in this passage that we're looking at this morning that the food Peter had fed Jesus' sheep for those 30 years was the Word of God. The Word of God is essential to the diet of every Christian. As it is often said, the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever wondered why Christians spend so much time around the Word? Why we devote so much time on Sundays to gathering and singing the Word and praying the Word and hearing the Word preached? We make much of the Word of God because the Word of God is good for us. Jesus wasn't instructing Peter to feed his sheep with worldly philosophy or pop psychology or messages on how to be prosperous. He was instructing Peter to feed his sheep the Word of God. So we're in the second week of a new series. If you're just joining us this week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message on the first part of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. We're, we're calling this series, All You Need. And that's taken from verse 3, which says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. This week, the focus is on the Word of God, as it is one of the things that we've been given as an essential for living a godly life. There are three points this morning. If you're taking notes, here they are. Point number one will be the Word remembered. We'll see that in verses 12 to 15. The Word remembered. Peter is going to emphasize the importance of remembering the Word. The second point will be the word revered. We'll relive a literal mountaintop experience through Peter's eyes. An experience where he came face to face with the majesty of Jesus. And he understood why Jesus is to be revered. And that will be in verses 16 to 18. And the final point will be the word reliable. The word reliable. And this will come from verses 19 to 21. This third point will answer the question of why we believe the word of God is reliable. Again, three points. The word remembered, the word revered, and the word reliable. So let's look at verses 12 to 15 again to consider why we should remember the word of God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Notice that Peter assumed these Christians knew the truths that he was emphasizing, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. He's giving the benefit of the doubt that 
His discipleship of these Christians has been completely effective. His starting point is that they know the truth, and yet he wants them to see how critical it is that they be reminded of these things, right? Christian, never be insulted when you hear your pastors reminding you of the basics of the gospel. We have a good example in the Apostle Peter doing that for us, right? So if we are doing the same thing that the Apostle Peter did, be encouraged. What are these things that he's referring to? The truths outlined in verses 1 to 4 are certainly in view that these believers have obtained a faith that is founded on the righteousness of Jesus. It is a gift. They did nothing to deserve it or earn it. Simply put, Peter wants these Christians to be reminded of the gospel, that they were hopelessly separated from God in their sin, and that due to no effort or merit of their own, God graciously opened their eyes to their sin. He enabled them to repent of their sin and believe on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin. That's verses 1 to 4. We can't miss that Peter is also wanting to remind these Christians of the fruit that accompanies a changed life. You'll remember back to last week, if you were here, Peter says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. He goes on in verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he'll say, whoever lacks these things is blind and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. In verse 10, Peter says, whoever practices these things will not stumble. In other words, they will not turn away from the faith. These things that Peter is wanting Christians to remember are not the root of their faith, but they are the fruit. We should never think that being good or growing in knowledge or exhibiting self-control or practicing perseverance, living a life marked by godliness or having mutual affection for your brother and sister in Christ or just having a general love for people is how we are saved. That's not how we are saved. Rather, these things in verses 5 to 7 are the result of faith. And that's why Peter is emphasizing the importance of remembrance in verse 12. So allow me to ask the obvious question here. And I've already hinted at it. If the Apostle Peter saw it as being necessary to regularly remind the sheep entrusted to him, of the truths of the gospel and the resulting fruit that proceeds from the lives of those sheep. Shouldn't we do likewise? If the Apostle Peter honored his Lord Jesus by focusing on these things in obedience to his pledge to feed Jesus' sheep, why would we want to do anything else? Our commitment to train our eyes on God's Word is how we obey Jesus' instruction to feed His sheep. 
Peter's committed to doing this as long as he lives. But for exactly how much longer that will be, only the Lord knew. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter is committed to reminding these Christians of the Word because it is essential for instructing one on how to live a godly life. But while reminding them of how they should live, he's also reminding them of the certainty of death. If this year has taught us anything, it's that life is fragile and fleeting. And this is something that we all know. It's something that some of us have been reminded of just this week or maybe within the last few months. Peter has been reminded of the inevitability of death by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be encouraged by how he views this revelation from the Lord. As casual as Peter is in talking about his impending death, you would think that he's talking about taking a nap that he's going to wake up from. He doesn't seem to be bothered at all by the fact that the Lord has marked his days. As a matter of fact, he he casually mentions his upcoming death while emphasizing the importance of remembering the word. So how was it that Peter was able to seemingly remain so calm in talking about death? It was because he was remembering the word of God. And though he doesn't outline it here in this passage, Peter, like the other apostles, had a firm hope in the promise of the resurrection of the body. Peter speaks of his body as a tent, and Paul does the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it for you. I think we might have it on the screen. But this was Paul's hope for Christians as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The apostles, they were not the only ones who had a hope for the bodily resurrection. We think about Old Testament giants such as Job, Abraham, and David. They all knew that death in this body is not the end. Jesus' resurrection was confirmation of the Old Testament hope and was a foreshadowing of what all Christians will experience. So friend, if you are a Christian, your view of death in this life should be informed by the Word of God. 
If you're a Christian, you can be confident that God has promised death will not have the final word. That's why Peter was able to focus on calling the sheep that he was over to remember God's word rather than being fixated on his death. So if you're a Christian, take heart. Be confident in the word of God. But, but let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you should not be so confident. You should believe what Scripture says, but in believing what they say, they tell you if you're separated from God by not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that your outcome will be much different from the believer who will be raised to live with God forevermore. Know that Peter was so confident because he knew whose he was. So I ask you this morning, do you know whose you are? Are you your own or do you belong to God? Peter was so committed to the task at hand that he was considering how to continue feeding these sheep even after his death. Look at verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. How would he do that? How would Peter care for these sheep even after he had died? Well, we have it here in our hands, right? Written record. Again, Peter is not putting the emphasis on his departure but on the Christians that he was serving, being able to remember these things. In the present, in their life, while he was alive, he wanted them to remember. And even after he had departed, he wanted them to remember. The community of faith over time would accept Peter's second letter into the canon of Scripture. His dying wish would be realized, not just for the sheep that he was personally feeding, but also for you and me. We are being fed this morning by the Word of God, and it happens to be the same remembrance that Peter left for the congregation that he was serving. So as Christians, we must daily remember the truths of God's Word because it is among the things that we need to live a godly life. The Word remembered. We must remember the Word, but we must also revere the Word Again, our second point is the word revered. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Jesus had challenged Peter to feed his sheep, and that's exactly what Peter had been committed to doing over the course of his ministry. Peter was calling on the sheep that he was tending to remember what they heard, but he also wanted them to revere what he had seen. When we speak of the Word of God, we of course think of God's revelation to us contained in the 66 books of the Bible. But at the same time, we think of the Word of God, as we think of the Word of God, we think of the second person of the Trinity. The opening verse of John's gospel tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So who is this Word that John is referencing? A few verses later, John says, 
the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John highlights the first coming of Christ, but Peter is focusing on the second coming of Christ. Peter was referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus when saying, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. And that's going to become abundantly clear in just a minute. The word stories there in verse 16 actually means myths. So what will become apparent next week is that Peter was addressing the issue of the negative influence of false teachers on the church. But this battle, it it cuts both ways, right? Two ways. Not only was Peter making accusations against the false teachers, they were apparently making false accusations against Peter and the other apostles. It seems as though the false teachers were trying to undermine the apostolic testimony of the return of Christ. Friends, we say this from time to time, but Satan has a limited playbook His tricks aren't new. When you read Scripture, you find that we are dealing today in the church with the same issues that the early church was dealing with. The false teachers were spreading lies, and they were trying to cast doubt on the testimony of the apostles. And Peter's argument is, you can trust what we're saying will happen because you can trust what we're saying has happened. The world will tell you that Christ is not returning or will continually try to take your attention and your eyes off of the return of Christ. And the false teachers in the early church, they were doing the same thing. That's why we say that Satan's playbook is short-sighted and limited. Peter says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So what is Peter referencing here? What event in the life of Christ was so impactful to the apostles that would lead Peter to write this? Out of all of the experiences that Peter had with Jesus, and we can think of so many of them, one of them was so awe-inspiring that over three decades later, Peter is still thinking about it as the singular event that previewed Jesus' second coming. So again, what was he referencing here? It was the transfiguration. Turn with me back to Matthew's gospel. Matthew, we'll start in in verse 16. The transfiguration account, it shows up in Matthew's, Mark's, and Luke's accounts. And all three follow a very telling statement from Jesus. Again, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 28. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Immediately following Jesus' words, we read of Jesus' transfiguration. Verse 1 of chapter 17, After six days, 
Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Mark tells us they were as uh, whiter than anyone in the world could have bleached them. And just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I mean, you just hear him. While he was still speaking, a, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. He said, Get up. He said, Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus, the Son of Man, coming in his kingdom, just like he had forecasted in verse 28. The transfiguration, it was a preview of what Jesus' second coming will look like. How do we know this? Well, Peter tells us in verse 16. Peter, who was an eyewitness to the transfiguration, he saw Jesus revealed for who he is, and he saw Jesus as he will be, as we will see him when he comes again. Well, now it makes sense why Peter would say in verse 16 of our passage this morning, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. He had seen Jesus in power and majesty and honor from God the Father. Not only did Peter see the events of the transfiguration, but he also heard them. Back to our passage in 2 Peter, Peter mentions in verses 17 and 18 that they heard from God the Father. So what is the significance of the transfiguration for Peter here in this letter? What's the connection between the transfiguration and the Word of God? Well, if you look at the flow of Peter's letter, the reason we are to remember the Word of God is linked to our reverence for the incarnate Word of God. Why should we remember the Word of God? Peter would say, because it points to Jesus, and Jesus is to be revered. Why is Jesus to be revered? Because he is coming again and will come in power. Why is Jesus to be revered? Because he is majestic. Why is Jesus to be revered? Because he received honor and glory from God the Father, who loves and is pleased with his Son. So this begs the question, how am I doing at revering Jesus? You can't read this and, and not ask yourself the question, am I revering Jesus as much as Peter was revering Jesus? That, am I revering Jesus as much as God the Father revealed that we should be revering Jesus? 
Am I like Peter, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus? You know, the the reverence for Jesus helps us in times like we find ourselves in now, as well as in the trials of everyday life. It reminds us that Jesus, the incarnate Word, is perfect as He is, and He cannot be improved upon. Reverence for Jesus, the incarnate Word, it reminds us that He is in control of all things. And like I said from the outset, some of us are not doing well. And we would do well to revere Jesus and remember that He is in control of all things. We could go on and on reciting reasons why Jesus should be revered. I'll give one more. Reference for Jesus, the incarnate Word, reminds us that He is coming again. Part of a well-balanced diet for a sheep of Jesus is the Word of God. And this includes setting our minds on the hope of the return of the incarnate Word of God. The word remembered, the word revered, and our last point is the word reliable. We'll see that in verses 19 to 21. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter was looking back at the transfiguration as proof that Jesus would come again, but he was also looking back further to the Old Testament writings. And he was assuring these Christians that the message they had from God was reliable. Ben Franklin famously said, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Mr. Franklin's list is incomplete because he left off the Word of God. Peter tells us the prophetic message is certain because it is something completely reliable. So why was it completely reliable? Again, the transfiguration is central for Peter because it confirmed everything the prophets had written of. The prophetic message, in other words, what we call the Old Testament and the transfiguration pointed to Jesus' kingdom. You know, some people today wonder if we need the Old Testament. They question whether it is of any consequence, and they tend to discredit it. Let me encourage you that if, if you hear someone suggest that, especially a preacher suggesting that, run as fast as you can from the teaching or preaching. Listen instead to Peter, who says the message of the Old Testament is completely reliable. And not only that, look at what he says, you will do well to pay attention to it. Why? Because it is a light which illumines our path. We hear this description of light shining in a dark place, and We are reminded of the darkness that we live in in this world. A world where one of the presidential candidates that stands before us says an eight or ten year old child can declare they are transgender. Wicked. A world where animals have more protections 
than human beings in their mother's womb. Wicked. A world where governments can enslave entire people groups to make cheap tennis shoes and t-shirts. Wicked. Brothers and sisters, we will do well to pay attention to the prophetic message as to a light shining in a dark place because it assures us that Jesus, the morning star, is coming back to judge wickedness when the day dawns. The New Testament writers, they took great comfort in the Word of God with all that they saw going on around them. With all of the wickedness around them, they took great comfort in the Word of God. And they had outstanding confidence in the Word of God because they understood it was from God. Look at verse 20. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, above all, highlighting the importance that we must put on the doctrine of inspiration. So how did we get the Word of God? Peter tells us that what we have was not the invention of man, as were the, the myths those cleverly devised stories that he was talking about back in verse 16. The Scriptures, they came about by God using man to communicate His holy word to His people. Peter tells us three things to confirm the unique process of God giving us His word. First, no prophecy came about by the prophet's own interpretation. God spoke clearly to these biblical writers and communicated to them exactly what He wanted communicated to His people. Second, no prophecy originated from human will. God initiated His communication to His people. Third, the Holy Spirit carried along the prophets. By this, we are to understand these writers were not merely taking dictation, nor were they checked out and serving as robots. The Holy Spirit, in full complement with the personality of the writers, gave us God's very words. As the wind fills the sails of a ship and pushes it along, so the Holy Spirit carried along those who took down God's word. All those years before Peter's letter was penned, Jesus had challenged him to feed his sheep. So again, we ask, what do sheep eat? If they're Jesus' sheep, they feed on the Word of God. Peter was committed to calling the Christians under his care to remember the Word. He wanted them to revere the Word, and he wanted them to see that the Word is reliable. Why did Jesus insist on Peter feeding the sheep of God his Word? Because there's an inseparable connection between how we will live and our view of God's Word. A low view of Scripture will inevitably result in loss of faith and in your view of Jesus' ability to save. 
And history tells us that where the Word of God is not treasured, the church shrivels and dies. If you go to Europe or to New England, you will find once, uh, or buildings that were once filled with people worshiping God by singing the Word, praying the Word, and hearing the Word preached. Those once filled buildings are now gift shops and condominiums. When Peter said his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, he fully meant we need God's word. So what do sheep eat? They eat the word of God. Friend, how much of your diet is composed of the word of God? Remember the word Revere the Word, because the Word of God is reliable. Let's pray. Fathers, we remember these things that Peter longed for his congregants to see and to to apply to their lives. As, as we remember them, we are delighted to know that all these years later, those same exhortations, those same challenges apply to us. And the reason is because Jesus should be revered. Your word has carried on through the hands of faithful servants. Men and women who gave their very lives to preserve this word that we have before us. Men and women who had such a reverence for Christ that they would willingly go to the grave defending your word. May we not take it lightly. Lord God, help us to have the same convictions for this word. Help us to pour over it and to commit it to memory. Help us to defend it. And make us as willing to go to whatever lengths to make sure it is passed on to the next generation. Father, raise up more men and women, we pray, who have these same convictions about your word. Father, as we have been challenged to remember these things and to reverence Christ, I pray that now as we gather around the table in our revering the Lord Jesus and obeying his command to remember him and what he has done. Father, may we be challenged, may we be comforted. Father, if there's any sin in our hearts, I pray now that as we take just a moment to inspect our hearts, I pray that you bring those things to our minds so that we might confess those sins. I pray that we would not take this meal lightly. 
but that we, in accordance with your word, we would walk in obedience by confessing our sin. Father, if we have wronged another, if there's a, a wedge between us and another brother or sister, I pray that you would help us to be so bold as to go to them and ask for forgiveness. May there be no division among the people of God, especially as we approach this table. So, Father, we give you thanks for what we have before us. We give you thanks that Christ Jesus left us this means of remembrance. And I pray that as we consider this visual of the gospel, that we, we will be challenged, but yes, that we will be comforted as well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.